Acts chapter 6. We're working our way through the book of Acts, uh, as we have been for a while now. Uh, we're going to cover all of chapter 6 today. Uh, it's not very long, so if that scares you, I apologize. Um, here's where we're going to start, though. We've talked about this before, um, and I'm going to say it, and it, it might sound weird to you, but hang with me. There are long stretches of your Bible that actually don't teach you anything. And if you're like, wait a second, there's no stretches of your Bible that are a waste of your time, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But there are long stretches of your Bible that are narrative. Narrative is just a story. Narrative is just historical facts. Like, this is what did happen in the historical account. Like, these are the things that took place. And very often, as you read through those stretches of your Bible, God doesn't slow down in the middle of it to go, this is what you should learn from this. He just tells the story. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole thing today, but we talked about it when we went through the book of Genesis as a church. God chose to reveal himself through story. That's why he wrote the word of God. And most of it is just narrative. Most of it is just story. Why did he do that? Because story communicates personality. Because you will learn not just things about God, but you will learn what he is like. You will experience who God is, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> through the story, through the things that he is doing, through the way he interacts with and communicates to and works on behalf of his people. So in the book of Acts, we are, we are getting a whole bunch of story, right? And, and hardly ever does God slow down and be like, hey, this is why you need to know about this. Hey, you need to know about, you need to pay attention to this. So I'm going to do that real quick this morning. In any type of story, there are small characters that play a huge part. It, that's just the way story works. Story always has small characters, and it, maybe they're just a blip on the radar, but they have huge impact in the trajectory and the arc of the story. Your life is probably like that, right? You probably think back, and there's like big characters like mom and dad and brothers and sisters and wife and husband, you know, whatever that is. And then there's probably like a coach, and the coach was in your life for this short period of time, but it had a huge trajectory, or a buddy from college, or a, a kindergarten teacher, or, you know, these types of small characters, and you think to yourself, man, for as little screen time as they got in my story, they sure had a huge impact. And, and the story of the church, as we go through the book of Acts, is just like that. There's going to be these small characters that have huge impact. And today, we are going to read about the origin story of a man named Stephen. Now, I was really proud of myself that I came up with origin story, um, because that's like the cool thing in the movies nowadays, right? When I was a kid in the movies, all we had was sequels, right? Mighty Ducks, Mighty Ducks 2, Mighty Ducks 3, right? Every movie came after, and then Star Wars was like, we're going to super trick you out. We're going to come out with a movie, but it actually took place before the other ones. They're like, mind blown right and then the Avengers universe came out and there's like 75 different like superheroes and then every one of them like has Avenger stories and then there's the origin story of like how did we get to this place today we're going to read the origin story of one of uh, if there was like a Mount Rushmore of church history of the early church this guy would be on it and it's funny because his 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 time on screen is really short, but he has a huge impact. 
like we talked about, happens in every story. But if there was, there isn't a Mount Rushmore of the church. It, it, that's kind of the opposite of the idea of the church, right? The first shall be last, you know, that whole thing. But if we were celebrating like these super influential, highly impactful individuals that changed the trajectory of the church, of like the world history, this guy would be on it. And the funny thing is, you might not even know his name. Or you might not even know his story. And so today we're going to see the background of how it came to be that this giant influencer of the early church uh, came to be in this position. So that's where we're going we're gonna to jump in. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should get out, give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Taman, Parmenius, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Okay, so we need to start with a little bit of a history lesson so we don't get lost in what the heck they're actually talking about. Uh, there are two different groups of people in this scenario that have very different backgrounds and culture. Now, if you go way back, uh, the people of God, the Israelites, which would later become known as the Jews, uh, were living in the land of Israel. They spoke uh, their native language, which was Hebrew. Um, some talk about Aramaic. I personally think they spoke Hebrew, but uh, that's a debate for another day. So that was their native language. Well, what happened was, is in world history, there was a couple of world empires. First the Medo-Persian Empire, then the Assyrian Empire, then the Greek Empire. You probably don't care about any of that, but what you do need to know is that as the Greek Empire took over the world with Alexander the Great, uh, one of the things that the Greek Empire did was they spread the Greek language everywhere, okay? so. The, the worldwide language, kind of like English is the common language, if you want to like trade and, and communicate with people all across the world, English is kind of where you go today. Back in those days, it was Greek. Even though the Romans had conquered the Greeks, and we are at this point in time in the Roman Empire, still the main language of the world was Greek. But then you have this conflict because the Jews in Jerusalem still held on to their native tongue being Hebrew. And so we had these Hebrew-speaking Christians and these Greek-speaking Christians. People who had grown up in Jerusalem as Jews that were like, no, 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 our native tongue is Hebrew. And then these other Jews that had grown up in other parts of the Roman Empire that had spoken Greek, and they were, uh, that's actually Hellenist. Helen means Greek, okay? So that's the root. The root, the root is not hell. Like people are like, oh, does that mean they're going to hell? No, it has nothing to do with hell. Helen is the Greek word for Greek. And so Hellenist is a Greek-speaking, a native-speaking Greek. So there's this argument, as the church, remember, is selling all its possessions. God has changed their hearts. They're living differently now. There's this radical generosity taking place. They're all pooling their money together. Nobody says anything that they had was their own, and they're meeting all these needs. And apparently, there's a daily distribution that is taking place. My guess is it's food, because later on, they're going to say serve tables. And so this food is being handed out, and people are starting to notice 
the Greek widows aren't getting as much food as the Hebrew widows. Something's wrong with that. I mean, that's legitimate injustice. Like, legitimately wrong and messed up. Okay, like, that shouldn't be happening within the church. And what happens is, people are seeing this, and they start to complain. That's actually where our story starts. A complaint arose, right? So people have been complaining about their church since the beginning. Amen, right? Like, that's just a thing, right? It's kind of a joke, but it's actually kind of true. You need to know this about the church, because sometimes we talk about the early church. We're like, oh, the early church was so perfect, and they met in homes, and everything was great, and thousands of people were being added, and all this stuff, and we kind of idolized the early church in our minds, but what I read when I read about the early church is kind of a mess, right? This is actually really messy, right? There's actual injustice happening. There's poor leadership taking place. Like this hasn't been delegated well. There's not a system in place. There's not vision. There's not oversight. Like the leadership of the early church is failing in this regard and people are complaining, right? Not only that, but if you continue back, like looking through, like there's some great things that are happening in the early church. There's some messy things that are happening too, right? Ananias and Sapphira, huge hypocrisy within the church, right? Then it's just, it's a messy situation. And here's the truth. The church has always been messy because people have always been messy, right? People are messy. And, and we talked about that when we studied through the life of Jesus. Jesus isn't scared of your mess. But when you bring messy people together to follow Jesus, they don't all get cleaned up. Churches are messy too. And, and to some of you, that's a surprise, right? Some of you are expecting to walk into a church and they better have all their ducks in a row. And there are, like, if you're expecting to walk into any church on planet Earth, and if you find a mess, you're going to walk out the front door, let me save you the time. That church doesn't exist, okay? Like, it doesn't happen. Messy people create messy churches, and that's God's plan. It's been God's plan from the very beginning. So here's what this tells me. The church has never been not messy. Every church that has ever existed from the very beginning has always only been messy. God chose to use messy people to build his messy church. And here's what's essential. Look at what verse one says. Disciples are being made, and look at verse seven. The word of God continues to increase. When you got real problems is when the leadership won't humble themselves enough to fix what's wrong and disciples aren't being made and the word of God is not increasing. Those things should be essential. But what we see is this messy church, but the disciples are being made, right? They're being multiplied and the word of God is increasing. And somebody brings up this complaint because this is absolutely wrong what is happening. Apparently somebody is handing out the food and apparently that person has not been trained properly or the idea of like injustice has not been addressed properly in their hearts. And, and what's happening is they're giving, they're showing preferential treatment to one group over another. And what happens is the apostles evaluate the situation and they come to the conclusion that verse two, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now this is a story, okay? Don't forget that this is the story of what did happen. This is descriptive. This is not 
prescriptive. This is not telling you what should happen. This is just telling you what did happen. Because sometimes we go, especially to the Old Testament or, or to the book of Acts, and we're like, well, they did this, so we have to do this. Not necessarily, right? Their story might be different than your story. I don't ever want you to read this and be like, oh, well, the apostles said that they were above serving tables, so I can be above certain things in my life. That doesn't happen, okay? If Jesus can wash feet like a slave on the night before he was crucified, then there are no activities that are below you, okay? There are not things that you could say, I'm above this, I shouldn't have to do this. And so what happens here is they are teaching in the temple every single day the word of God. And they say, it's not right if we stop doing that in order to go over here and serve tables. And so this is not like I'm above this thing. This is just like these two, we can't be in two places at once. And so they said, we need to find other people to serve these tables. And I spend a little time on this because when we usually talk about obedience, we usually talk about not doing bad things, right? We talk about like, oh, I've been obedient. Like I didn't drink, smoke, cuss. What you, you know? We talk about the things that we don't do in order to be obedient. Especially when we come into the church, it's like we're obedient. We don't watch those kind of movies. We're obedient. We homeschool our kids. We're obedient, right? Fill in the blank. You know the type of like historical, like stereotypical Christianity. We just don't do the bad things, and not doing the bad things is what makes us obedient. But let me tell you the truth. You have to do the right things in order to be obedient. Okay, I mean, good for you that you're not hungover this morning, but don't confuse sitting in a chair or a pew on a Sunday morning as the fullness of obedience. All right? The disciples are sitting here and they're going, we don't have time to be doing this serving tables thing because God has called us to teach the word of God. And if they were to be not teaching the word of God, that would have been disobedient. I say that because this is what happens a lot of times. God has called us to do something, but instead of do that thing because it's a little bit harder than we're comfortable with, we do something else that's easier for us, right? Or we double down on this thing over here that's easier, and God's like, that's not obedience. It'd be like if you went and told your kid, like, hey, clean your room, kid. Uh, you wouldn't talk to your kid like that because you're nicer than I am. But let's just say for the illustration, clean your room, please. And then you come back in an hour and his room's not clean. You're like, I told you to clean your room. He's like, well, I didn't hit my sister. I'm like, I I'm glad you didn't hit your sister. Still not what I asked you to do, right? I asked you to clean your room. But I didn't hit her and she deserved to be hit. Like, you're like, you, what? this is not obedience, and it happens in Christianity all the time, right? God's called you to love your spouse. But that's really hard. So I'm actually just going to, I'm just going to post on Facebook about how much I love Jesus and maybe put a little Bible verse. So we have a whole bunch of people that have really Christian-looking Facebooks, but not a bunch of gray marriages. Because we're not being obedient. We're just doing this other Christian thing. Or we go like, hey, make disciples. Like the Bible says, make disciples. Well, that's kind of hard. So uh, we have lots of family time, lots of trips, lots of good interactions with me and my kids. But instead of actually engaging your kids in disciple making, we're just spending a lot of time with the family and not actually engaging in obedience. Happens all the time. Sometimes 
the thing that's holding us back is we just haven't started being obedient. God's like, do this. And we're like, oh, I'd rather do this. And then we start doing that thing really hard. And we're like, why isn't this working? God's like, because you didn't clean your room. But I haven't hit my sister. Good for you. Clean your room. And then I'll tell you the next thing to do. Right? This story is about a guy who is going to step into a serving opportunity out of obedience. And God's going to open the next door, and the next door, and the next door, and the next door. But if Stephen had been sitting there waiting, like, I want to change the world. Serving tables doesn't seem like the thing that's easy for me. Then he never would have taken that first step, and therefore never would have experienced any of the things that God wanted to do in his life. Right? Don't confuse not doing, just not doing bad things with complete obedience. All right? I say that because I know there are leaders in this church who haven't stepped into the things God has called you to lead in. I know that there are opportunities and giftings that God has called you to that you have done something else instead of. And I'm not trying to like pick on you, but I know the doors that God wants to open in your future and, and experiences and blessings that he wants to pour out on you and you're limiting him because you won't say yes to what he's called you to do. Rant over. We're called to be disciple makers, not church attenders, right? And to think that church attendance is the totality of obedience is missing the problem, missing the point. Uh, I remember the summer God changed my life. Uh, I was at University of Idaho. I was running track, living in a fraternity down there. And, um, and God was like, you say you're a Christian, but nobody can tell. And I was like, but I read a lot of books. And he's like, wait, nobody. And so I left. I went to Calvary Chapel Bible College, and I just had this conviction in my heart that I was going to be a pastor someday, which is funny because I had a friend at the time that I told. There's only one person I told. I was like, I think I'm going to be a pastor. And they're like, you don't even like people. And I was like, okay, I'm not telling anybody that anymore. Right? So <laughs> I didn't. So I went to Calvary Chapel Bible College, and I like, had this thought like, in my mind, don't know where it came from. I was like, I think I'm going to be a pastor one day. And uh, my aunt and my grandmother, at the same time, both got cancer and passed away like, within weeks of each other. And so they ended up having a, a combined like, celebration of life service together. And they, they asked me to come. Well, they didn't ask me. I, I came back for it. And then right before it, they, they said, will you do the service? I had been walking with Jesus like in earnestness for like six weeks at this point. And yes, I felt like God was calling me to be a pastor. But I was like, I, I don't know how to do a funeral service. Like, this is too much. I can't do it. They're like, please do the service. I was like, no, I can't do it. And so they're like, will you say a prayer? And I was like, okay, I'll say a prayer. Right? So I go to the service. They find somebody else to do it. But I say the opening prayer. And then I sit down. And for the next 45 minutes, I listen to this person give the most ungospel, no word of God talk ever. And it was just like, I don't know if you've ever been convicted by the Holy Spirit, like when you should have done something and you didn't, and you just got to sit in the back row and listen to it. It was like, right? Like God was like, yeah, you probably would have been terrible at it, but at least you would have taught the word of God. Yeah, you probably would have been terrible at it, but the gospel would have gone forth. Yeah, you were scared to step into this opportunity, this door that I had opened for you. But the, the alternative is this person standing up. And yes, they're kind. And yes, they love your grandma and your aunt. And yes, it was OK in everybody else's eyes. But you know the Holy Spirit was not in that speech. And it was a really strong conviction. 
And I, I, I made a deal with God at that point. I was like, all right, God, from now on, if you ask me to teach the word of God, I'm going to say yes. I'll look at my calendar, right? I'm not going to cancel date night. I'm not going to go crazy, but right. <laughs> if I can do it, I'm going to say yes. It, it actually like, it kind of backfired on me one time because this lady came up to me after church. She's like, hey, will you teach at our school? And I was like, yes. And it was a, it was a high school. Um, so I was like, I'll prepare in this high school message. And I showed up. I didn't know they also had a grade school. So I prepared this high school message. And then like kindergartners and first graders walked in. They're like, here's our special guest. And I was like, oh, man, like take the sex talk out, right? So... <laughs> What happens here is not that the apostles are somehow above serving tables, but God has called them to teach the word. And so if God has called you to do something, then to do anything else is disobedience, even if that thing is good. There's a great quote. It says, if God has called you to be a servant, don't stoop to be a king. So the apostles come up with the plan. Pick out seven men who have a good reputation, full of spirit, have wisdom. Now, this may seem like an overqualification, but just serving tables, but the church is not just a serving organization, okay? It's a disciple-making organization. We talked about that already. So if you are representing the church, then you are making disciples. And this is a very high calling, okay? They weren't just looking for somebody like, hey, you could carry food without dropping it. You're in. They're like, who's full of the Holy Spirit? Who has a good reputation? Who, who can do this thing in a way that honors, and God, honors God? And so there's this broken system. The disciples are looking at it. Somebody complains. Church leadership has the humility enough to, and repentance enough to admit their failure, to change, uh, to go forward in a new direction. And then we have some just good old-fashioned, smart thinking, like common sense. Do you notice anything about the seven names there? You may or may not. They're all Greek names, right? Isn't that just smart? All right, so we have this idea that sometimes, like, in the church, like, there has to be a Bible verse for everything. And I'm not saying that's not kind of a good baseline. But, like, if the people that complained were Greek, let's put Greek people in charge of handing out the food. Seems smart to me. Well, it's not in the Bible. Well, it's smart, though. Right? Like, it's not disobedient to the word of God. Sometimes there's some room for some common sense in the way God works through people. And look at the results. Verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So here's the metric that the early church uses on whether or not they're on track. The word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied. The word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied. It doesn't say the church increased or the apostles increased or their podcast blew up or they sold a bunch of books or their song made it big on the radio and like, or, or you know, they were number four in American Idol and now they're a huge star. Like, it doesn't say any of that. It says the word of God increased and therefore disciples were multiplied. Whenever we talk about increase, we're talking about two things, either quantitative increase or qualitative increase, right? Quantitative is like a number, like, like there's more opportunities or there's, there's just a numerical growth, right? So if the word of God was to increase quantitatively, like we hear it more. There's an increase in our engagement with it. 
We read it more. Like there's just more opportunity for it to impact our lives. Or there's a qualitative increase, right? The quality is better, right? And both is happening here. It says they're teaching in the temple every single day. There's a quantity increase of the word of God. That's how the word of God is increasing. And there's also a quality increase of the word of God. Lives are being changed more than ever. Last chapter, it said everybody held them in high esteem. Why? Because these people were coming in. They were selling all their possessions. They were unbelievably kind. They were just absurdly generous. Right? They were walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Stephen is here, like serving tables in the power of the Holy Spirit, and people are blown away. They're like, there is something different about these people. Their lives are changed incredibly. That's the intention of the church. If you thought you were going to walk into church today and leave the exact same as you walked in, like just hear a cool talk, like, wow, that made me feel better. It's not about you feeling better. Sorry to spoil it for you. It's about the word of God changing your life. It's about hearts being changed because we understand the goodness of our God in a whole new way and then we walk out different people than we walked in. That's what the church is about. That's what disciple making is about. And Stephen, verse eight, let's continue on. I'm never gonna finish this chapter. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, so there's a, a group of people, uh, synagogues, a Jewish thing, so this is probably a small sect of Judaism, synagogue of the freedmen, and the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, so these are locations, uh, these would be Jews from certain locations that have kind of their own way of going about things. Um, these are all religious groups, is what I'm trying to say. And those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and they seized him and they brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So remember, the whole reason that any of this matters at all is because this man named Stephen, like I said at the beginning, is going to have this incredible impact on the church. And this is Stephen's origin story. This is how he got to be where he will be in a chapter or two when we look back and go, wow. When the Apostle Paul talks about for the rest of his life how impactful Stephen's story was on Paul's story. Or, or Luke actually gave him more time in his sermon than any sermon in the New Testament. Think about that for a second. Stephen's sermon that he's about to preach is the most time that any author of the New Testament gave to any sermon that was ever preached in the New Testament. That's a lot, right? That's a big impact. So anyway, the church is having some drama. People are complaining about the way the food is being handed out. The apostles recognize the problem. New systems in place. They're trying to figure this out. Stephen is one of those men who steps into this volunteer place, and it's called the daily distributions. So how often is Stephen doing this? Daily, yeah. Even you went to public school. You can figure that out, right? Every single day, right? He is there. 
And, and if, why did we pick Stephen? Well, he's a really good guy. He had a good reputation. He'd sign up for it every single day. And to be honest, because his name was Greek. <laughs> like there's some like really great things about Stephen. And then it's like on the other end, it's like, and you have the right kind of name. So you're in. And Stephen steps into this opportunity and God opens door after door after door. We'll talk about it in the next couple of chapters. But it's kind of comical because if you were in the crowd watching this, Right? Stephen gets seized. He gets taken into this courtroom type of setting before the council of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And if you were like an outsider, like, ooh, this looks serious. Like, they're really angry. Like, who is this guy? He's the lunch lady for the church. Like, what? Like, what's the, he's the, yeah, the big instigator. Like, he hands out food every morning. Like, that's the problem? Yeah, that's a huge problem. Like, that doesn't seem like a big problem, being nice to widows. It is. Can't have that around here, right? There's this weird like overreaction like there always is when it comes to spiritual matters. And we're not told exactly what is happening, but it just says that in the midst of all of this, Stephen's face looks like an angel. Now, in 2021, when we talk about looking like an angel, we're talking about being cute, right? Some of your husbands are like, yeah, you're like an angel. She's probably not, but good for you, right? So we're trying to be like complimentary in first century, angels were not like cute things. Like angels went to war. Angels were like the messengers of God. Angels were like going to battle. They were fighting darkness. And they were always, every time in your Bible, uh, messengers of light. They were always shining. Every time you see an angel in the Bible, it's shining, right? So when it says his face was like an angel, the, the council wasn't like looking at Stephen like, he looks really good in black, right? They weren't thinking he like was very cute. They were like, There's, he's shining. Like, this is, and it says they're gazing at him. They're staring at him like, is his face shining? Do you see that? Is, do, what is happening here? And it was just God's way of, of showing like the Holy Spirit's here, guys. Yeah, you might think this isn't a big opportunity. He was just handing out food. He's the church lunch lady. Like, you don't think this is a big I'm here. I'm here in this thing that you think is small. I'm here in this thing that is super messy. I'm here in this thing that doesn't seem like a big deal now. And by the end of Stephen's story, it's going to, like I said, change the trajectory of the entire church. Here's where we'll finish. I told you at the beginning that this story was going to be about one of the most impactful church leaders in the history of the early church. If I told you that at the beginning, and then I asked you to guess how that story would go, what would your guess be? Hey, guys, I'm going to tell you about one of the most influential church leaders ever. How do you think you grew up? Well, we probably like, had great parents praying over him, read the Bible to him every day. He was probably a prodigy. Right? When he was three years old, he probably memorized the whole Bible in multiple different languages. By the time he was 12, he probably like had 70,000 kids in his youth group and like altar calls at dinner. Like he was probably always, none of that happened. It started in a mess, a messy, complaining, poorly led failure of a church structure. Like that's where it started. And I point that out because I don't know if sometimes you feel like you live in a mess. Just me? There's people who walked in this morning like, I'm a mess. My life's a mess. This situation's a mess. Right? 
Welcome to the club. This is how God, this is actually his specialty. Like, this is how he loves to work. This is what God does to redeem. To redeem means to take something that's not worth anything and add value to it, right? That's what redemption is. So God looks down on the mess, and the world goes, that's not valuable. And God's like, watch this, right? It starts in a mess, and then, and then where does it go? Just one small step of obedience. Hey, guys, we need somebody to serve tables, hand out food in the morning. When? Every single day. What time? 7 a.m. That's early. Every day? Every day. Do I get weekends off? No. All right. He steps into obedience. He sees an opportunity. He steps into it. And what's interesting about this is we talk a lot here uh, about discovering your purpose. Uh, it's in our, our mission statement as a church, right? We, we exist to help people um, by helping them know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. And we talk about discovering your purpose. There, there's two ways that works. There's an individual calling and a, a corporate calling. And your individual calling is based on your gifts. Some of you are gifted in certain areas. Like I said earlier, the worship team or, or the graphics design that you need to step up. You need to go talk to Jake after service and be like, I want to help with worship, right? That's an individual calling. The corporate calling is you being part of something that's bigger than yourself. It's you being connected to the whole. And that's not based on your gifting. That's based on need, right? There's nobody in this group of seven guys that like took a spiritual gift assessment and like came out like lunch lady. Like that's not, like that didn't happen to anybody. Nobody's spiritual gift is like cleaning up tables. But what they did see was a need and they stepped into it. And so your purpose is always going to be tied individually to your gifts and corporately to the needs God put in front of you. Some of you walked into church this morning, you're like, why don't they do that? Well, maybe God showed you because he wants you to step into that, right? Maybe I'm dumb as a rock and I can't see that need for nothing, right? Maybe our volunteers are doing other things. Maybe I'm teaching the word of God like the apostles and somebody needs to do something else. I don't know what God's putting on your heart, but it's just this small little step of like, I'm here, I'm here. There's this Old Testament story of one of the prophets and he just says this incredible verse. He says, here I am, God, send me. And it's like this surrender of like, hey, I don't have much, but whatever you want to do with it, right? There's also that story in, in Jesus's life, the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus looks at 5,000 people. He's like, we've got to feed all these people. And there's a little kid. It's like, I got five loaves and two fish. Just bring what you have. I, we're not asking for Superman here. Just look around. What doors has God opened? What opportunities are in front of you? What does obedience look like in your heart? Bring what you have. It's just that mental switch of like, okay, God, I will surrender. I'll do it. I'll step into it. And then this crazy thing happens. When it became hard to serve, he persevered. Right? So he started in this mess. He took this small step of faith, and then he gets arrested. And at that point, I'd be like, nah, I'm out. I just wanted to serve tables. I was doing this out of the kindness of my heart. I did not sign up for this, but he doesn't. God gives him a special empowering of the Holy Spirit. The guy's face is glowing, and he's sitting there going, all right. I had no idea this is what it was going to look like when I volunteered to hand out food every morning. But here we are. God's got me. God knows. And then, like I said, we'll see where this ends next week. But I want to finish here. 
The Bible says God works all things out for the good of those who love him. He can actually take situations that are negative and work them in such a way that your life becomes better at the end of it than if that negative situation had never even happened. And you're sitting there going like, that's impossible, right? That's impossible that my life could go wrong and then actually God could redeem it to a place where I'm in a better situation than if that had never gone wrong. I remember, I got, I'm, I'm over time. Give me four more minutes, okay? Deal? Four minutes. Uh, I was driving out to the Valley Costco at Christmas time two years ago. And uh, there's a bank out front. You're not supposed to park at the bank, but Costco parking's crazy, right? If you're from Costco, get a bigger parking lot. But anyway, like I park at the bank. And there's this lady. She goes, excuse me, are you going to the bank? And I was like, no, I'm going to Costco. She goes, uh, well, this is bank parking. I was like, nobody's ever here. <laughs> pastor Jared, you guys are so proud of your pastor right now. And she's like, well, we have customers. I was like, okay, you're right. I'm sorry. So I got my car and I moved and I gave her like the, you know, snooty face and I parked and I was like, come on, Jared, like that girl's going to come to church like two weeks from now and she's going to walk and be like, that guy's your pastor, right? So I was convicted. So I went over to Starbucks and I bought her a drink, like a mocha or something. And I came back and she's like, I pulled up into the parking lot and she goes, excuse me, sir, you can't park it. And I was like, no, 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 I was just here. I was like, I give you a real bad attitude. She goes, I don't even remember. I was like, well, I bought you something to say I'm sorry. Right? So I gave her a mocha, and I drove away. And I started thinking, when that lady goes home, what story is going to stick out about her day when she talks to her husband? She's going to be like, you know what? This guy was a jerk. Right? And then God was like, I know, I'm sorry. He's a jerk. Convicted his heart, sent him to Starbucks to get me a mocha, and brought it back to me. Like, nobody ever does that. Everybody just yells at me for making them not park at the bank parking lot. And, and it actually was more impactful on her life that I chose to break the rules and park in the bank parking lot than if I would have just parked in the right spot to begin with. Like, that's, if God can do it at that little tiny thing, you think he can do it with your big mess? If God can do it in that little weird thing, we're like, oh, yeah. If Jared would have just followed the rules at the start and parked in the right spot... Like, he never would interact with that lady. But that's what it means when God can work all things out for the good of those who love him. I'm going to finish with this. You're going to walk out today. Something's going to happen to you that never should have happened. I promise. Just like me parking in that bank parking lot. And then God's going to give you an opportunity to step into obedience. And if you do that, I promise he's going to change everything. He can work. He can open doors. That's the first step over the rest of your life. But that's why I spent so much time on this story this morning, right? Because you walked in here and you're like, this is a mess. This never should have happened to me. This is crazy. I don't know why this is like it is. I don't either. But come back next week and we'll see what God can do with a mess and somebody who steps in faith. We'll see what God can do with a failure of church leadership and somebody who persevered in the middle of it. We'll see what God can do with somebody who just said, okay, here's what I got. Do what you want with it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your words. And I pray that your hand would be upon us right now to apply the things that we've just heard to our lives, Lord. I know that there are people in here who feel like there's a mess in their world right now. I know there are people who 
are in here this morning who feel like God is like, you are calling them to obedience. You've called them to step into something or you've, or you've exposed a need in their life. Or maybe, Lord, they're just so hurt and broken, you just want to remind them, you can do whatever you want. You haven't left them or forsaken them. I pray that you would do your work in our hearts right now, Lord. Uh, that as we sing this last song, Lord, we would reflect on not only your goodness, but how you're calling us to live our lives, Lord. We desire to be the types of people who have the word of God increasing in us. We desire to be the type of church that is multiplying disciples. Use this time right now. Accomplish your purposes. We ask you in your name. Amen.